The Recipes for Life podcast is a conversation about my favourite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being, as well as expanded consciousness. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed the health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. Bruce Lipton, PhD, is an internationally recognised leader in bridging science and spirit. He's a stem cell biologist, also a best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, as well as The Honeymoon Effect. If you'd like to learn more about Bruce Lipton, please visit his website, brucelipton.com. B-R-U-C-E-L-I-P-T-O-N.com. Bruce, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast Recipes for Life. And for me, I would love for the intention of this podcast to be something that children can listen to. Uh, I have two daughters myself that are 12 and 13, and for them to be able to take away some valuable knowledge and wisdom that you can share that they may not be getting at school, home, or in their community, especially in this day and age where there is so much distraction for them and also adults. So let's start with... What does it mean for us to be human? Can you explain that? <laughs> Especially for a child to understand. <laughs> Something simple. <laughs> no, that, uh, maybe the broadest question of the entire civilization's uh, experience is, what does it mean to be human? And, uh, and the answer is this, is that... Um, <laughs> uh, there, there's an illusion that uh, is our humanness. We're just these these bodies, and that we're these physical entities moving around like a bunch of marbles, uh, uh, bouncing into each other. But it turns out, from the world of science, uh, especially the world of quantum physics, which like, most people go, ah, quantum physics, weird. Uh, quantum physics is the most valid science on this planet. Uh, and, and the relevance about it is simply this, the, the fundamental understanding of, quant uh, of quantum physics is that consciousness is creating our life experiences, which mean mind and thinking. Uh, and so what are we here for? And if, if I give you the answer, which I really like after 40 or 50 years of research, uh, is that we came to this planet to create. Uh, and, and I say, create what? And I say, well, uh, what's heaven? 
You say, well, everyone has their own idea of heaven. And I say, yeah, well, then everyone coming here is trying to manifest that heaven. But unfortunately, we've been programmed by other people so that our wishes and desires take second place to the programming. And so we have, we came to a place where uh, it is heaven. We came here to create a wonderful life experience. Anything that you want to imagine, you can manifest on this planet. But when our consciousness has been taken over by the programming, uh, then we're not really creating our personal wishes and desires. We're creating something of a cultural uh, um, a norm. Uh, people that give us ideas about how to live, and then we buy their ideas and forget why we were here. Why are we here? To create <laughs> and have experiences. And uh, uh, and so it, it's whatever your vision of heaven is, imagine that this is it. And then you go and you look at it and you go, yeah, but it sure doesn't look like heaven with all the negative things going on here. I go, well, that's that's because uh, we've given up our creative priorities to uh, follow the beliefs of other people. And most of those beliefs are negative and disempowering and self-sabotaging. And so what could have uh, been heaven on earth turns into someone like hell on earth at this moment. Uh, and what's interesting is in a book I wrote called The Honeymoon Effect. It revealed that, you know, all this negative creation we have uh, stops the moment somebody falls in love. The moment they fall in love, within 24 hours, their whole world is completely different, no matter how much it was lousy before that moment. The moment they fell in love, something changes. Uh, I call it the honeymoon effect. Uh, and basically, mm-hmm. what does that represent? It means uh, when you fall in love, all of a sudden, within 24 hours, life becomes so beautiful. The food's better. The music's better. The relationships are unbelievable. And all of a sudden, I go, oh, well, that was why we were here. But then at some point, we revert back to the programming and that beautiful heaven quality seems to turn back into this uh, what looks like scary life that we have. So why are we here? I think to create heaven and we've been diverted by programming that we bought from other people. So we're not really manifesting uh, that, that heaven that we have the ability to create. So what I'd like to talk about then is the programming. And, and can you take us through the stages of life or the timeline of how we develop this programming and how can we unravel other people's programming so that we can get to our authentic self? So does it start uh, – I've heard you discuss this before about that it actually starts with um, – from conception or basically in, in the womb, yes. we start to form our own personalities, if that's the right uh, terminology or, or ideas about the world or programming. Let's, let's go with that. Okay. Let's relate this. It's a, most young people are very familiar with something called the iPod. I go, yeah, this is this little device. And on the front of the uh, iPod, the screen is called the touch screen. And I say, that's a very creative place because you can create a playlist, adjust the EQ, fast forward, reverse. Uh, you, you have a lot of manipulation. It's creative. So an iPod says, I want to create a playlist. I want to create a life. I go, great. That's called the touch screen. And you do that. But here's the point. I go buy a brand new iPod, take it out of the box and I push play and nothing happens. And being an old dinosaur, I'm really upset having spent all this money and the darn iPod isn't working. And some little seven year old kid comes up and tugs on my shoulder or my shirt and says, listen, mister, you, you didn't download any music. You can't make a, a playlist if you don't have a download. In other words, you can't yep. create unless there's a program to create from. And I go, oh, well, then this is just like a human life. Consciousness is very creative. 
But if you have no programs, uh, it's sort of like having an iPod with no memory download. Uh, you can't do anything. So it turns out the universe offers the first seven years of a child's life, and as you mentioned, it actually starts in the last trimester of pregnancy, uh, an opportunity to download programs. So the brain is not even working at creative consciousness. It's working at a lower vibration. When they put wires on a person's head, they could read their brain activities called electroencephalograph. You're reading brain function. And, and a child's brain doesn't even express creative consciousness until around age seven. Before wow. that, the period is downloading behaviors. Uh, so you're in a state like of a hypnosis. You're like a, a child's like a, a, a video recorder. Uh, you record everything you see and everything you hear for seven years. And those recordings go straight into the subconscious, just like a CD. I got programs. I got programs how to behave. I said, where'd you get these programs? I copied, I downloaded by observing my mother and my father and my siblings, my community. I see how they operated, downloaded that behavior. And that becomes the basic programming in my brain or iPod in this case. And then I say at age seven, I become creative, so I get use of the touch screen, and I can play these programs or not play these programs and or create new programs. But the point about it is simply this. The fundamental programs of life, how to behave, how to respond, uh, were observed by, by observing other people and download into, the, into our mind. And I go, why is it relevant? Because if we're using the subconscious where these programs are, then we're not living from our wishes and desires. We're, we're basically just playing other people's programs. Uh, and since psychologists have recognized about 70%, the large majority of these downloaded programs are negative and disempowering and self-sabotaging, it says, well, if you're going to operate from your subconscious programs that you got, about 70% of these programs are going to sabotage mm -hmm. you. You're not going to uh, find the success and happiness and harmony of why we came to the planet. We're going to be creating negative programs that are going to feed back on us, and these negative programs are going to affect our health uh, and our social lives and our love life, because if we operate from these negative programs, then by definition, we're not having a positive experience. They're negative programs. And the reality is simply this. You say, well, I have two minds, the subconscious with all the programs and the conscious mind, which is creative. And I say, that's the one that kicks in around age seven. And you say, mm -hmm. well, if I'm using my conscious mind, that's the mind with wishes and desires. I say, what do you want from your life? And the answer is going to come from your conscious mind, creative. Oh, I would love to have a great relationship, a great job, make a lot of money. I really want to be healthy. And I go, oh, yeah, that's a, a creative desire from conscious mind. And then here comes the big problem. So then this is the wake up call. Well, our wishes and desires will take us to where we want to go. Uh, the conscious mind, uh, when it's thinking, is not controlling our biology. The conscious mind is sort of like the driver of your life. It's got conscious mind's got the heat, the, the hands on the, on the wheel and are driving us toward what? Wishes and desires. That's conscious mind. But then I have to, and this is where everything goes wrong. The conscious <laughs> mind can also think. And thinking is an inside job. A thought is inside. So my conscious mind, which is driving my life, has a thought. It lets go of the driving wheel, goes inside our head because thinking is inside. It's not paying attention to what's going on on the outside. So I say, oh, so the moment I'm thinking, I let go of the wheel. Does that mean I stop? I go, no. The subconscious is the autopilot. 
It knows how to do the things we know how to do, walk, talk, do a job, do because anything we've repeated uh, is a habit, and that's what subconscious mind is. So I say, why is it relevant? Mm-hmm. Simple, stand back, and it goes like this. When I operate from my conscious mind, which is connected to my personal identity, spirit, if you want to say so, I'm using the creative mind, and I can create love and joy and health and happiness. Uh, And then I say, well, that's really great. That's why I'm here. But then I say, but when I'm thinking, the conscious mind has to let go of the wheel, go inside, because that's where thinking takes place. And then the subconscious is an autopilot, grabs the wheel and starts driving. But the subconscious drives according to the programs in the subconscious. And I go, oh, that's where the problem comes from. Conscious mind is me, my wishes and my desires. But the basic programs, as we mentioned, in the subconscious came from observing our parents and our family and our community. Most of their behaviors suck, actually. (laughs) It's 70% or negative. I go, why is it relevant? And here's the simple mathematic. When I'm operating from conscious mind, I'm operating from what I want, my wishes, and my desires. But the moment my conscious mind is thinking, the autopilot subconscious kicks in. Yeah, but then the behavior that's coming out of there is coming from the program. And if the programs are negative, then my behavior is going to be negative. And you're going to say, oh, well, I would see if my behavior is negative. And I go, well, here's the problem. We're not operating uh, with our, our wishes and desires. Oh, only 5% of the day are we doing that. 95%, we're just playing back the programs that we got from other people. And what's most important about it is this. The word subconscious, that part of the mind with the program, subconscious means below consciousness. So the, here's the point. When we're playing these automatic programs in our subconscious mind, they're called habits, mm-hmm. Uh, we don't see it. And I said, well, how come we don't see it? And I said, first question, then why are we playing these programs? Why aren't we just creating with our conscious mind, with the wishes and desires? And the answer is, when we are thinking, we let go of the control because thinking does occurs inside the head. So if you redirect your attention inside the head, then by definition, you're not paying attention to what's going on outside. And I go, well, that's where the problem comes in because the moment we are thinking, our behavior is not controlled by wishes and desires. It's now controlled by the programs. And as I said, most of those programs are negative. And so therefore, I say 95% of the day, we are thinking. And therefore, we are not controlling our lives with our wishes and desires. Our life is the result of the programs that we got. <laughs> and if most of those programs are negative, then we look at our life and go, wow, It's not turning out the way I want it. (laughs) I wanted to be happy. I wanted to be healthy, all these wonderful things. And look what I got. And then we feel like, oh, I'm a victim because I didn't think of these negative things. I go, no, no, it wasn't thinking. You were playing a program and and you didn't see it. Now, it's interesting. Most people have seen the movie The Matrix. And in the movie The Matrix, they talk about, oh, your life is programmed. Then they give the uh, uh, Neo uh, a chance to take a blue pill and a red pill. If he takes the blue pill, he goes back into the program. And guess what? Life is exactly the way it's always been. That's the program. But they said, if you take the red pill, you can get out of the program. And I said, what does that mean? It says, once you get out of the program, you become the creator of your life. So it's either you creating from wishes and desires or you creating from program. Uh, and conventional issues reveal 
unfortunately, o- only 5% of the life uh, are we actually expressing the wishes and desires because the program takes over 95%. And that's where all of our negative experiences come from. Okay, so if you're a child and you're listening to this, so what you're taking or what you're absorbing or from what you're saying is basically we're a set of programs that's created from our environment that basically we haven't, I won't say we have no choice, but we're sort of conditioned to make decisions based around our own programming. So I know this is a question for the ages, it is, who am I? And, and how do you explain that to a child that's listening to this about how they well, find their authentic self? Who are they? Well, it's interesting. If you can observe a child, uh, and so the, even if you're young out there, let's say 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and you look at an infant, a young kid, and look at their life, they're having fun. They're, you know, they're playing, they're enjoying life, they're creating games and creating imagination and living in all this joy. And then I go, what happened to that joy? At some point, we sort of lost it when we started to go to school and started to take on responsibilities. Uh, And I say, what happened? I say, when we were young, we were free to have imagination and create what we want. As we started to get older, we replace imagination with rules. <laughs> rules. This is how you do this, and this is how you do that, and uh, and stop playing, and start being serious, and you have a job, and, and this is how you do the job. And all of a sudden, I start to realize something. We are now not living the way we want to live. We are now living the way we were told to live. <laughs> and these are programs. And I say, yeah, but what if the, the way we are told to live is wrong? I go, well, we're, we're going to live that way anyway, because that's called the program. And so what we have to recognize is this. What happened to the joy before the program? I said, oh, well, that creative part stops once we get the program, and then we have to conform to the program. Because if you get older and you're not performing to the program, the people around you go like, oh, what's wrong with you? You're not, you know, are you crazy? You're not living like all of us else. You, you know, you're not serious. You're not doing, your, you know, your part. Uh, and all of a sudden realize, oh, I got to come back and do the program. Well, mm-hmm. let's just stop and say, and what program did I get in school? And I'm going to say, this is where the point comes from. These programs uh, are mostly incorrect, and and they take away our power, and they take away the, the joy out of life. Life becomes work. So before a certain age, life was all play, and then after a certain age, life was all work. And I said, what's the difference? Well, play was you were creating that. Work is, oh, you're conforming to what you have to do according to other people. So you're not living your life anymore. You're living other people's lives. And if these programs that we get are negative, which most of them are, then it says, as you're playing these programs, how are you going to get a positive result from a negative program? The answer is, you're not. And that's why life becomes a struggle. Life is hard. Life is not fun anymore. Uh, And you start to see, I'm just trying to keep up. I'm working really hard. And in the process, what about your fun? What about your joy? What about your happiness? It's like, oh, put that on hold. We'll we'll do that when we retire. Uh, First, we have a life of work, and then we can come back. And I go, no, the moment you let go, of the life and joy and bought into the program is the moment you lost the whole reason for being here. The whole reason for being here 
What a beautiful experience. If you think about it, you go out and you look at the world and you see the mountains, the valleys, the forests, the flowers, the ocean, and you look at that and say, wow, that's a totally beautiful. Uh, and then I say, yeah, and in the midst of all this beauty, you seem to be struggling. <laughs> uh, and it turns out the struggle didn't come from the outside. The struggle came because we bought into, oh, no, you, you're growing up now. This is what you must do. And if those things that we must do don't bring joy and happiness, they also don't bring health. And I say, we have to return back and recognize there was the reason we really came here was to experience this beautiful planet and the joys it offers. I mean, people think, uh, oh, well, first I have to have a, a, a BMW and a Mercedes and, and then I'm going to be happy. And so I have to work really, really hard and stuff I don't want to do. But if I make enough money, then I'm going to buy the car. And when I buy the car, then I'm going to be happy. And I go, that's the joke. You didn't need the car to be happy. You were already hmm. happy before you were seven years old. You were already happy. Uh, we just have to go back and say, maybe the story of how we're supposed to live is not an appropriate story. Maybe it's not correct. And this is what turns out to be the truth. We have been programmed to let go of who we really are and to become some piece in a game, uh, like, uh, you know, like a pawn in a chess game to be moved around and to do the bidding of others. That was not our intention. Our intention was to, to be here and to experience beauty and love and happiness. And we want to conform, then you let go of the purpose of being here, and then you become uh, uh, another part in a machine, another gear to move it and make the machine work. And you forget who you really are, and you forget why you're really here. Uh, and the problem is we must let go of this and start recognizing, yeah, we, we can contribute, but we didn't have to give up uh, the power over our lives. We are, we are creators. Uh, are we creating heaven on earth? Well, before seven years old, you did. Life was a joy. Wake up, play, have fun. But after seven, we started to get, no, no. Oh, oh no, you have to conform. You have to do it this way. And, and, and you have to work. Uh, and the joy disappeared. And the job takes over instead of the joy. And then guess what? You forgot why you were here. Mm. Life now is a struggle. Life isn't any fun anymore. Now it's all work. And I thought, oh, yeah, you missed the point. <laughs> So if you're a child and you're at school at this particular time and you're listening to this and you're, when you're thinking about what is it that uh, career that I would like to do or what job interests me or, or what creative arts or what subjects should I be choosing through my high school when I get to make these decisions, what would be your, your advice if you could go back uh, to the young Bruce and say, have a think about this before you make any of these decisions. What would you say to yourself or to a child out there? Yes. Well, the idea is this. Listen, when we went to school, the whole idea was this is what you're supposed to do. They were trying to train us to become workers in a field. And then they want to tell us, well, in school, you did good in this course and you didn't do good in this course. So therefore, you should be, uh, you know, a garbage man or you should be an electronics technician or this based on on all this uh, from from our schooling and all that. Nobody really asked the person, what do you really want? They just say, no, this is what you are suited for. Then they tell us, then we lead into this. And maybe this isn't even what we wanted in the first place. So there's another way of looking at it. The way I look at it is this. You can think about 
I could do this and I could do that. And then you have all these options. I say, yeah, but which one should you actually do? And, And then here comes the point that I would suggest. It's not thinking about which one you should do. It's the one that you feel about. I like this one. This is what I feel I want to do. That's that's a feeling. That's not a thinking. Mm-hmm. That's the one that uh, that that your heart says. Oh, this I would love to do this, and I would love to do that. And yet there are the teachers and the guidance counselors and all that that say, Oh no, according to this exam, you should be doing this, and it's not what you really wanted to do. So it's really time for us to to say, wait, I don't want to listen to the outside people. I want to listen to my own feelings. What is it that I think is the most wonderful thing to do? And and it's interesting because in my own particular life, when I started, the first time I ever looked in a microscope and I saw cells moving around, I was like, oh my God, I was so excited (laughs) to see these things that you can't see with your eyes, but they're in there and they're living and they have a world and they're they're like uh, miniature people moving all around. And, And that joy led me to become uh, a biologist and a scientist and use even bigger microscopes, electron microscopes, and and look into cells and see how they work. So my career uh, was actually started when I was in second grade, and I looked into a microscope, and the wonder and the, and, mm-hmm. the, and the imagination of what was going on took over. And I was fortunate enough then to say, I want to be a biologist, and, and and I actually did pretty, you know, much better in my biology courses because that's where my love was and I wanted to become that. Uh, but a lot of people, uh, even before they get old enough to make a decision, their parents are thinking, well, uh, my dad's a doctor and he wants me to be a doctor. And all of a sudden you got programmed to be a doctor. And maybe you don't even care about doctoring, but it seems to be you're being pressured into these different programs, when I say uh, let go of that pressure and for that period of time, start to recognize this, is that it's your desire. What do you love to do? Because whatever you love to do, you're going to do really good at it. Mm-hmm. And if it's something you're not really love, but you can do it, then it'll be like busy work and, and you can do it, but it doesn't bring you any joy. So my advice is, to really find the thing that makes you so excited that it's not work, it's actually fun. Well, I, I remember using this giant electron microscope in graduate school, uh, and what was so interesting about it, I was having such a joy and thrill in using this that one day I even stopped and thought, my God, they're actually paying me money to do this. I, I would have <laughs> paid them money to use the microscope. Uh, so I was uh, very fortunate because my job matched my desires. And and so I, I became very successful. Why? Because uh, of my desires. It made me a better biologist than someone who went in because uh, some guidance teacher said, well, you, you know, your scores are, you should be a biologist. And they perhaps were interested in music, <laughs> but they mm-hmm. became a biologist because everyone around said, do, do the biology and the music disappeared. And that was where the joy came from. So the whole idea is this. Start to they see the things that you really love and recognize there's always some kind of job connected to that thing. If that's what you want to do, that really is your desire, not someone else telling you that you could be good at this or this. If that doesn't make you happy, then don't do it. That's the important lesson. And that 
obviously uh, goes across the board through all timelines for anybody that's listening to this. But, okay, let's delve a little bit deeper in if you could talk to a child, what would you tell them about the wonder of their body and how to look after it? And do they need to look after it? (laughs) Well, let's start from a scientific point of view before we talk about the child. And that is simply this. It turns out less than 1% of disease on this planet is connected to our genetics or our biological mechanism. That mm-hmm. 90% or more of health issues did not start at the biological level. They started at the level of the mind and consciousness. When people are not living in harmony with life, they tend to be unhappy. And unhappiness is a feeling that you can get in your body. I go, well, what's it from? I say, it's the chemistry released from the brain that gives us our, our feelings. And I go, why is it relevant? Because when we have negative feelings, we have a tendency to close ourselves down because we don't want that outside world. It's scary. It hurts. It's painful. I want to close myself down. A, a child goes to school, finds out people make fun of, you know, of him or her, uh, and they, and he becomes a joke and then they're bullies and all that. And I say, what, what will a child do? In that particular environment, the answer is try to close themselves off from the abuse, the attack. I'm not going to pay attention. I'm going inside. And I said, well, then you miss what life was because life was going out and experiencing things. But if you find yourself in a negative uh, situation and being bullied, you want to disconnect. You want to get away from that. And I go, well, this is unfortunately a very bad situation because our beliefs and fears, uh, our concerns are turned into chemistry, which that's what we're feeling. But negative chemistry is responsible for the health issues that we have. That people that are not happy are people that tend to get sick. That happiness and joy brings health because the chemistry that comes out of a brain that is happy or a brain that is in joy is chemistry that uh, enhances our vitality, our health, makes us happier and stronger as compared to the chemistry of fear, uh, rejection, uh, bullying. These chemicals actually take away our health and can cause all the illnesses on this planet. So uh, what a child should be encouraged to do is to really to be open and, and start to recognize that other people's opinions don't, don't, you know, will affect them if you let those opinions affect you. But if you say, nah, I don't pay attention to them. They're the crazy ones. Why should I listen to their bullying? They're the stupid ones. I want my life. And if I start living my life without the fear of other people, then I'm living in joy and health and happiness. And that's what we want in our lives. So uh, the important part about our bodies is this. Our bodies reflect the images in our mind. Whatever we're thinking, our body will become a complement to that thought. If we're thinking happy thoughts, then our body has happy chemistry and we'll have a happy life. But if we're you know, concerned with all the negative things and the fears and, you know, just like not being good enough or happy enough, then I say that chemistry is not good chemistry. That's scary, sad, uh, painful chemistry. And I go, oh, that chemistry doesn't bring you health. That chemistry causes sickness. And, and so our bodies, as we grow up, are we going to be happy, healthy people? Or are we going to be sickly people? Are we going to get diseases? And it turns out, it's strictly related to how we deal with the world. So 
uh, a child should be recognized to encourage, do the things that give you joy, do the things that bring happiness into your life. Because the moment you're doing that, your mind is going to release the chemistry into your body that will promote health and and uh, and uh, and behaviors that bring joy to your life. Why are we here? I want to be happy. Well, if you're not being happy, then that means uh, your your mind is going. I don't want to be here. Oh, that's a very bad sign <laughs> because hmm. a mind that says I don't want to be here will release chemistry that will cause illness, and then you won't be here. So uh, we have to change that around. I'd love for you to talk to us about relationships as well, because um, obviously this yeah. is where teenagers, they start to, I remember my own teenage years, I was starting to think about girls and it scared the hell out of me and I didn't know what I was doing <laughs> and, and, and what, why am I being attracted to this person and not this person? What is it about them that I really want to get to know? And And I guess... How would Bruce uh, talk to young Bruce about love and relationships? And 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 again, if we're un are we under a program when these opportunities arise or these attractions arise, or is that our authentic self connecting or desiring connection with somebody else's authentic self? Well, let's start off with a biological fact, and that is this. Uh, all human beings are con uh, were born with the desire to be in connection, mm -hmm. to be in a community, to be in a family. All living organisms are designed to be in a community. That's nature of biology. No organism lives alone without a community. Uh, and if we go out in our life and we, we don't find harmony, and we disconnect from, well, we don't like these people, and we disconnect and we don't like these people. There's a point where you're so disconnected that uh, life cannot be supported. Life is supported by community. So we have an inherent built into our mind a desire to create relationships with people. At first, it's the, the fun people you hung around with as a kid. Mm -hmm. you, you had kids. You hang around with each other, and, and you created from imagination and joy. You played, and that was the joy of life. And as we get a little older, we then are also directed to find a relationship with a person, an intimate, a close, loving relationship, like wherever you can get love from. In the old days, it was only uh, boys meet girls. But in today's world, we recognize, look, it's relationship to be in love with someone because love brings peace. Love is, if you have love in your body, there's healthy chemistry. That's the most healthy thing in the world. But actually, uh, when, when people see a couple in love and they look at them and they say, oh, look how healthy they look. Look how they glow. Their biology is a reflection of love. And so we are driven to find love. Well, if you don't know the mechanics of how do I find love? How do I connect with somebody else to find love? Uh, if we didn't get good behaviors, guess what? If our programs are not any good and then we're looking for love and with a program that doesn't work, we're not going to find love and then we're going to have a very sad life. It's not going to be happy at all because we're still looking for that connection. Remember, the connection, that's a biological thing. That, that's required. All organisms try to connect. So if we own that, we're trying to find connection, and then we don't find this connection, then, then life is not happy at all. It doesn't work for us, okay? But mm -hmm. in contrast, once we learn the rules, 
then we're supposed to be able to make these connections with people, not just friends, but more intimate, you know, relationship coupling. That's the intention. And yet, if we didn't get programs from observing our parents, if they weren't a very good relationship, uh, that means already your programs, because you copied them as an infant, uh, your programs aren't going to provide for good relationships either. You're going to do what they did. Uh, and so the reality is this. Yes, it's an awkward period. As we start to get older, we're driven by hormones and chemistry in our body to look for a relationship that's very intimate, a close, a loving relationship. And to do that, that requires behavior. And if we don't have good behavior, that means all of our life we're going to be looking for this relationship. We're not going to find it. And biologically, this is a very negative experience. It's going to have a very negative effect on your life. It'll make you unhealthy. It could cause you even to die very early. So, we're going to go up as we grow up. You're going to be looking for relationships. And then the point is this, how do you create a good relationship? Well, that, that's not, you know, that you just make up for imag imagination. You observe other people. And how did they do it? And if their relationships aren't that good and we study them, then guess what? When we use their behavior, we're not going to have good relationships. Mm -hmm. So the important part is this. It is very awkward when we start to leave our, our friends that are a little community of our clique of people that we hung around with a little bit younger. As we start to move into looking for an individual to have a personal relationship, if we don't have good skills, if we didn't have good programming, life is a struggle and it may not be successful. And then it turns out lack of love is one of the biggest causes of illness on this planet. And so if I start go, growing up and I start to hit my teenage years and I feel this urge to find a relationship uh, and, and I say, well, how do I do it? And I say, well, well, you know, I, uh, my parents uh, had a relationship. I, I'll use their program. But then you look at your parents and go, well, they didn't really love each other like we imagined they could. Then I'm going to say, well, I'm sorry, you already have a program that's not going to help you. Uh, if you become aware of this, then you have an opportunity to change that program. If not, you're just going to play the same program your parents have. And that's why uh, illnesses sort of run in families. People think, oh, there's cancer running in a family, that there's a cancer gene that the parents are passing to the child. The child will get the cancer. And, uh, and we believe that this is all the result of genes. But it turns out, no, cancer isn't due to genes less than 10%. Cancer is due to just not living in harmony and happiness. And as a result, look at all the cancer on this planet. Why? Because we've lost what relationships are all about and how to make a happy and loving relationship, mainly because where did we get the behavior to make a relationship from people who don't even have good relationships? So that means our behavior isn't going to be any good either. So this is a wake-up opportunity that says, no, I need to learn how to be a good partner and how to be a good relationship. So as I start to move out and start to make connections with an individual who will be my partner, I want to, I want to be able to be in harmony with them because harmony is love. And if you're not in harmony, you're not in love. Uh, and so, yes, it's an awkward period. I'm coming out of hanging out for me personally with the guys, uh, the, my, my group that I used to hang with get to a certain age. And now I'm looking at a person to be a partner. In my case, I'm looking at trying to find a girl and then realize, well, I really want to have this relationship. But guess what? My programs that mm -hmm. I got from my parents 
are going to sabotage that, then my life really sucks. It's just like, I want this and it's not showing up. But what we are learning now is you can change those behaviors and you can create what you want. We just have to know that until we change them, we are automatically running from the experiences that we studied other people, our parents and our family, et cetera. And that if we don't like the way their life is, guess what? Your life's not going to be better until you decide, I want something different. And that's when we have an opportunity to create a better life. And it may not be following what your parents did at all. And so uh, you have to ask yourself, are you happy or not happy? And if you're not happy, we can't blame other people. We have to say, but I'm creating not happy. Then I need to change the program so I can create happy. And that's when we become powerful people. But if we don't change the program, we're going to be just like the parents and have the same kind of problems that they have. I love your words, Bruce, and I want to get into some of these solutions or tips or advice in a minute. But before we get there, I feel like a lot of children as well are in a position where they, I mean, so much of the population go to schools or are born into families that have religious beliefs. And I would just like for you to define the difference between spirit or spirituality and, and knowing self and religion and what the difference is there and how do children navigate this, uh, these structures or these belief systems or these religions so that they can have a personal experience. Well, th this is unfortunately where the bigger problems come from actually religion on this problem. And I want to separate that from spirit. I want to separate from spirit because what is spirit? It's an invisible energy. Uh, and, and in the world of new physics, uh, we recognize that our life we're sort of like robots with programs. Uh, and yet we also have an energy that makes us different. No two people are the same. And I say, well, what's this energy called? Because energy isn't physical. Energy is like uh, a broadcast. Like there's a television set that's physical. And I say, yeah, the show that's on that television didn't come from the television set. It was a broadcast that was picked up by the antenna on the television set. And then the program is playing through the television. Well, a body is like a television. Right now, my body, Bruce, the name of this body, is playing a program. I go, where did it come from? Well, some of it has been downloaded, like uh, by observing my parents, so I'm recorded their behaviors. But I also have an identity, a spirit that makes me different from everybody else. The spirit is not the body. It's the broadcast that comes to the body. And it's really important because uh, the idea is this. Well, the bodies may come and go. You say, oh, uh, a person died. I say, yeah, but the broadcast that was coming to them, like a broadcast to a television set, is still there. In other words, let's say you're watching a show on television and television breaks. We say, oh, television's dead. I go, yeah. Mm -hmm. But the question I need to ask, well, is the broadcast still there? I go, well, yeah. I say, how'd you know the broadcast was still there? I say, you get another TV, plug it in and turn it on, and there's the show. It's still on. So uh, let's try and make this an analogy where I say your body is like the TV set, and the identity of who you are is a broadcast called spirit that is coming into this TV set, and, and we are playing our show. If the body dies... The broadcast, mm -hmm. the spirit is still there. I said, how do you know? I said, well, guess what? Another body will show up with the same uh, antennas that you have 
to see your show. In the future, another body will have the same antennas, and and that show will be on like watching it on another TV set. And the important thing is not to confuse the body and the spirit. It's like I can look at uh, uh, the same show on 10 different kinds of television sets. Uh, you know, big screen television set, little portable mm-hmm. TV set. Uh, the TV is giving me, the, you know, presenting the show, but the show is not in any of these TVs. It's picked up by the antennas. Uh, and so a spirit is who we are. We are the broadcast. The bodies are like our television sets so we can play the spirit. What's religion? Religion is like a group of individuals that say, here are the rules to, to how your spirit should work and what you should do with your spirit. And I go, uh, these are people making up rules. Uh, the religion is not spirit. Spirit is separate from religion. Religion is sort of like a group that says, this is how you should do it, or this is how you should do it. And I go, you know what's interesting? Uh, the religions separate us. Let's say, uh, you know, we have two different religions. We have, uh, let's say, Muslims and Jews when we look at the Middle East. And each one is fighting the other because one religion says this, the other religion says that. They don't agree, and they want to fight to see which religion is better. I go, religion is not is not the spirit. That's just the program. And, mm-hmm. and the idea about it is what? Religions cause conflict. Like even, let's say, in the United Kingdom. The, the Irish Catholics uh, versus the English Protestants. What's very interesting? Those are two religions, Catholicism and Protestantism. And I say, what's, they're both religions with the same Jesus and the same God. I go, and they're fighting each other and they fight each other. Why? Well, they have the same spirit, the same God. Their programs are different. And so I want to separate religion from spirituality. Religion is programming of behavior. Spirituality is who you really are. And because it's a broadcast and not the TV, your spirit is there forever. Your bodies may come and go. That's like the TV that works, then breaks. Uh, Then you get a new body and you're back again, but on a different TV set. So uh, let's separate religion and spirit. Uh, uh, Spirit is the fundamental truth for every human being. There's a unique broadcast, a unique spirit. It's there forever. You always are there. You cannot be disconnected from it. All the spirits together, uh, uh, collectively people refer to as God. All spirit is coming from God. And I go, well, why is that interesting? Because if I'm a spirit and you're a spirit, then by definition, each of us are connected to that so-called God. Can you be disconnected? I said, no, it's a broadcast. You can't be disconnected from it. You're you're receiving this broadcast. You're playing the show. Religion is business of spirit. And I go, oh, well, that's not the spirit. That's just the people telling me how I should use my spirit. And who said they were right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so I'm looking for a time where religion disappears and spirit is what we're all adhering to. Uh, and this is important because the differences we have on this planet between Muslims, Jews, Christians, the, these problems are not because we're different spirits. We're all the same spirit, but they're due to different programs. Religion is program. It's not spirit. 
uh, and this is why it's important to make a separation. You are a spiritual entity. You are a piece of God. You can never be disconnected from that. Uh, uh, and so when you buy into a religion, they'll give you rules uh, and they say, oh, you made a sin. I go, what does that mean? Uh, and they say, well, you broke their rule. I go, what about God and spirit? And I say, no, you didn't break that. You're always connected with God and spirit. So uh, let's separate those two and recognize that the rules of spirit, religion, are where conflict comes from because this religion says these rules, this other religion has these rules. They don't agree, and they'll end up fighting mm -hmm. over whose rules are right. And I say, if you forget the religion and recognize we're all spirit, then we're all on the same page. We're all in the same world. We're all part of the same community. It's only religion that separates us. Well, let's talk about then parenting because, or conscious parenting, as you could talk about it, because any people that are listening to this podcast, they could be a parent, they could be an expecting parent, they could be a grandparent or a guardian for these children. And, and the children listening to this will one day possibly be, be parents as well. Yeah. So but I love your definition of what it means to be a conscious parent. And, yeah. uh, because it, it is probably the mo one of the most important I guess, responsibilities or times in somebody's life when they are a parent and they've got these children that are basically sponges. So let's talk about this, please. Okay. Yeah, let's start off with a, uh, um, a quote that is 400 years old, and, and it came from the Jesuits. And the quote is, give me a child until it is seven, and I will show you the man. Now, what the heck does that mean? It meant that whatever programming... I provide the child before age seven, the rest of that child's life will be to create from that program. If I give a child negative programs before age seven, the rest of their lives are going to be creating from a negative program. If I give them a positive program before age seven, then they'll create from that. So I said, well, then who's the programmer? I said, well, remember, a child's first seven years, the design of the nervous system is to record other people's behaviors, especially the parents and the siblings and the community. I say, why is that relevant? Well, if the parent is providing the behavior that the child is copying, then if a parent has good behavior, so will the child. But if the parent has bad behavior, so will the child. And all of a sudden it says, oh my goodness, well, if you want to create a future generation, you want to create a new population, uh, young people, they're going to go into the world well, then you want to provide them with, with the best programming. I said, what is programming? Well, it, it, programming are the rules of life uh, and who we are. And so if I am not a good parent, then I'm going to provide some rules that are not going to be very helpful. And I will also challenge my own kid as, are you really a good kid? And I say, what do I mean? I say, look, Here's two ways a parent could act, and a child remembers recording this. And so let's say I'll be parent A, the good type of parent. And I'd say, oh, my goodness, uh, son or daughter, you're the most wonderful child that ever came to this planet. You can do anything. You're so smart and so capable and so lovable that you can create the most wonderful, happy life on this planet. Well, that's a good program. But then I say, but most kids never get that program uh, because parents act like coaches on a team. So think about it this way. A player on a team isn't doing well. What do you think the coach is going to say? 
it's the coach is going to like try to to needle them, get them uh, upset by saying, "Come on, you can do better than that. That's not good enough. Work harder, be better, try harder. You're, you know, whatever. You don't deserve to be here." They're, they're criticizing them, and you say, "Why?" Well. If a child on a team isn't doing well and the coach says you can do better, then the child's idea is, oh, I must perform better because then the coach will, you know, I'll be, you know the coach will like it. And this mm. is, you know, but I say, here's the problem. A child has to understand what the coach means. So this, if a child's under seven, they're not thinking in the way that children over seven think. A child under seven is just recording the words without thinking. And I say, why is it relevant? If the child is 10 years old and the parent says, you know, you don't deserve this, you're not good enough at it, the child can start to think and go, oh, I, I should perform better and my parents will like me. So the child was thinking about what the parent said and then tried to change their behavior. But if a child is under seven, they're not thinking, they're just recording. I said, what does that mean? Well, the parent says, you're not lovable, you don't deserve this, who do you think you are, you're not good enough. The child isn't thinking about what the parent means. The child's just recording the words. So I say, why is it relevant? Because if those words come in under seven, they become programs. Oh, under seven, uh, I hear my father kept, every time I threw a tantrum because I wanted a toy or something, my father would say, you don't deserve that. And I said, under seven, I just recorded. And I go, why is it relevant? Because then the rest of my life, 95% of my life is going to come from this program. And if the program I download is I do not deserve, then the behavior will will complement that. I'll do stupid things. And at the end of the day, the program says I do not deserve. And I look around in my life and I said, look, I didn't get it. So I guess mm -hmm. I didn't deserve it. And, and it's like mm -hmm. all of a sudden you created that program. So what's conscious parenting? Putting in programs that encourage power love, health, and harmony by very positive things to say. Uh, and unconscious parenting is you just repeated what you heard from your parents, and now your kids have the same story as well. <laughs> the parent didn't have a happy life. The child's not going to have a happy life. So parents must start to recognize that their behavior is being copied by a child until age seven. Uh, the child's not thinking or reviewing the behavior, saying, oh, that's a good behavior, that's bad behavior. Up until age seven, they're just recording. And, and if the parents have bad behavior, the child has recorded this bad behavior. And then it turns out 95% of our life comes from this program. That's why the Jesuits said, give me a child till seven, I will show you the man, meaning whatever program the child gets before seven, the character of that program will determine the rest of the life of that individual. So since parents are responsible for creating these programs, if parents become conscious, that means, oh my goodness, they would then only provide their children with empowering programs, empowering uh, behavior, they have to behave well themselves because the child's just copying them. So conscious parenting is living the life you would love to live so that your child would have those loving experiences and that would shape the rest of their life. If parents' behavior is not very supportive, their life is not very happy, then by definition, if a child copies their programs, the child's life will be the same, not very happy. So conscious parenting says, my goodness, I have a job. My job is to create the most powerful uh, new child that will grow up and contribute to our world in a very positive way. Therefore, as a parent, 
if I'm going to be conscious about it, I will create behavior that is in harmony with life and in harmony with success and in harmony with love so that my child operates from that behavior. And so after age seven, their life will be a life filled with harmony and love and health. Uh, and if I'm not conscious, I, I might put very negative programs in there and my child will end up with the same negative behaviors that the parent had. And, and, and this is not where we want to go. We want to create powerful, healthy kids. That means we must give them powerful, healthy programs to copy. That means as a parent, I must be the model of those programs because my child will copy everything I'm doing until age seven, and that will be the program that will determine the rest of their lives. And therefore, uh, parents ought to start to see, uh, are, are they behaving in a way that they that they would love to have their child behave in? And if their behavior is not any good, they fight, they argue, they're emotionally upset, uh, they must recognize that a child is recording that, and that will be the life of their child. So a conscious parent does not want that negative stuff. Mm -hmm. A conscious parent wants to, let me give you the best behavior possible so when you're on your own, you're going to have these wonderful behavioral tools. Well, let's talk about reprogramming before we finish the podcast, because this has been fascinating. And for my own self, I've been searching for and, and wanting to reprogram for over the last couple of decades, and I've sought out different practitioners or therapists or different experiences. And they could be um, uh, psychotherapy, it could be talking with a counselor, it could be doing neuroemotional technique about uh, releasing negative patterns. So my uh, question to you is obviously there's there's so many different tools out there um is one better than another or is it a, a process of self exploration and discovery and adventure <laughs> tell me how, how 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 you see the solution to this reprogramming of ourselves yes <laughs> well the first thing we have to understand is that when we say the mind we're actually talking about two different pieces that work together. One is called the conscious mind. That's the mind connected to our spirit, our unique identity. The conscious mind, by definition, is creative. And so, therefore, if I say, tell me what you want from your life, and you start giving me an answer, that's creative. Oh, I want to be healthy. I want to be happy. I want to have a good job. I want to have a good relationship. I say, oh, that's creative thinking. And I go, yes, that's the function of the conscious mind. But then I say, there's the subconscious mind, which are the habits and the programs. A lot of people think the subconscious is negative uh, uh, just to begin with. I go, no, no, the subconscious is a very wonderful machine. Say the word machine. There's nobody in there. It's just a record playback device. And I say, why is it relevant? Because what we record in the subconscious will be behaviors that we're going to play pretty much the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. I say, oh. Well, uh, how'd we get them? Well, we just mentioned before that a child till age seven is in record. It's just, re you know, like a video camera, as I said, watching the parents and family and recording their behavior. And that behavior goes in the subconscious and becomes habits. Now, the issue is this. If the habit is good, then we have, uh, you know, great experience from it. the habit is bad, <laughs> then we're going to create a very negative life from it. And so let's give a good side for the subconscious mind just for example. When did you learn how to walk? 
And the answer is somewhere hmm. before two years of age. And I say, well, how old are you now? You could be 80, 90. I say, did you ever have to learn how to walk again? I go, no. For the last 80 years, <laughs> I've been playing the same program, and I'm really glad I got it because I don't have to learn how to walk every day. It's a program. So there are good programs, but then if we record some bad behaviors, those are bad programs. And they say, I want to change them. I say, oh, well, here's the difference. Conscious mind, the creative mind, can learn in many different ways. Listening to what we're talking about here, watching a video, going to a lecture, uh, even just going, aha, I have a new idea, the conscious mind can learn. Now, the problem is the subconscious mind is habit. And habit, once in there, doesn't want to change. I mean, think about it. You learned how to walk before you were two. Do you want to have that change sometime? Forget how to walk? No, I, I never want that to change. So habit mind doesn't want to change easily. So, oh, if you want to change it, there are different ways to do it, but they're very specific. And it's not like the conscious creative mind. There are only about three ways I can change those programs because there are three ways I learned those programs. Number one, hypnosis. Uh, that's the first seven years of a child's life. Uh, the brain is not in consciousness. It's a little lower vibration. It's in theta, which is a technical term uh, for the lower vibration of a child under seven. But theta is the record, hypnosis. What mm -hmm. I see this is what's going into the brain, okay? If you want to change uh, the subconscious mind, then you could use hypnosis. Uh, people don't realize this. Every night as you go to bed, just when the conscious mind starts to fall asleep, the brain is operating in that same stage it was at age seven, theta. And I say, why is it relevant? Because I say, if I want to change the program, I could put earphones on my head as I go to bed and have a program play on the CD or wherever uh, of a program of things that I like, being a, how to be a good person, how to be healthy, whatever. And I say, oh, good. Then every night I put the earphones on. And just when I start to fall asleep, my brain, my subconscious is listening, but my conscious just went to sleep. But if the mm -hmm. subconscious is listening, whatever program is playing through those earphones is going straight into the subconscious, just like they did before age seven. So uh, I want to change subconscious. Uh, it's called self-hypnosis. Put the earphones on, play a program of what you would rather have than the way your life is. That's number one. Number two, after age seven, after age seven, the hypnosis isn't working. You can make new programs, but how do you do it? Repetition, practice, whatever you learned, you had to practice until you got it right. You want to ride a bicycle? You got to get on there and practice every day. And as you practice, the subconscious mind will download the behavior. Once you learn how to ride a bike, it's always in there. You can ride a bike. You learned when you were six or seven. Now you're 90. You can still ride a bike. You got the right programs in there. If you want, do you want to change a program? Then you have to do just like how, how'd you do it after seven? How'd you put a new program in? I repeated it. I practiced it. Every day I created, uh, the behavior I wanted. And after a certain number of days, this will be automatic. And then you don't even have to work anymore because once it's a program in the subconscious, it means it is automatic. It works without you even thinking about it. You don't have to think about the details of walking. It's automatic. If I put in there programs to make me happy or programs to make me successful or programs to give me better health, once the program is in subconscious mind, I don't even have to work at it anymore. That's the fun part. Once there's a program in there, we'll automatically do it. So I want to change the program. 
I could use self-hypnosis. I said, put the earphones on at night, go to bed, and it will go, the information will go straight into the subconscious program. Or I could do habits, repeat something. If I'm not a happy person, I could say every day, over and over again through the day, I'm a happy person. I'm a happy person. Even if you're not happy, say it, repeat it. Why? Habit is from repetition. So there'll be a certain point where the subconscious mind will say, I am happy. And you don't have to say it anymore. But guess what? If the subconscious mind's got a program, I am happy, then the function of the mind is to make you happy. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, <laughs> I say, this is the beautiful part about programming the subconscious. Once you did it, you don't have to even do it again. It's there for as long as you live. So if we have bad programs, what you want to do is make new programs to replace the bad ones. A, you can put the program on a like a CD, put the earphones on, and every night listen to the program. It will automatically go into the subconscious. Or B, you can just practice the program by repeating it. Even if it doesn't sound right, even if you have a miserable day and you say to yourself, I'm happy, I am happy, the subconscious <laughs> mind is going to learn the one that you keep repeating. And once the subconscious mind learns it, then the, the function is to automatically play that program without you even thinking about it. And that's where the joy comes from. Because if I put a new program in the subconscious, I am happy and it's in there. Guess what? Every day I wake up and the subconscious starts off with, I am happy and we'll play that all day long. And you will subconsciously, you will automatically be happy all day long. And then just lastly, there's a new way of changing the programs that is sort of like super learning. That's a very interesting term, super learning. I say an example of super learning is some people can read a book by moving their finger down the, the page. Just move your finger from the top to the bottom of the page. As they move the finger, as fast as they move it, their subconscious mind will read the page, read the page. You can read a whole book in minutes using so the super learning. I say, but if you use the super learning to change the program, then it also says this, you can change subconscious programs that are negative and put in positive programs in minutes. Uh, and so there are three fundamental ways to change behaviors that you don't like. And I say, how do you know the behaviors you don't like? I said, look at your life. 95% uh, is coming from the program. If you have a negative life experience, it's not the outside that's giving you negative. It's the negative program on the inside. So if you look at your life and you find the things you don't like, you can use uh, that to say, wait, I'd rather have this than what I have. I have uh, an unhealthy life. I go, no, I'd rather have a healthy life. So I put in a program, I am healthy, I am healthy. And once it's into the subconscious mind, it becomes automatic. And that's the fun part, because once it's in there, you don't even have to think about it because just right now, your life is being controlled by the subconscious and you're not even thinking about it. So if you can rewrite the subconscious, then you can rewrite the entire direction of your life. You can go from an unhappy, unhealthy uh, life to a very happy, healthy life uh, by using either the uh, self-hypnosis, going to bed at night with earphones, B, use the repetition, I am healthy, I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm happy, repeating it all day, or C, use one of these energy psychology processes, which uses super learning that you can download a new belief in minutes. And that's a, a wonderful invention that has come recently because humanity, humans are facing a very serious problem. Our behavior, negative as it is, is creating uh, a world that is falling apart. We're in chaos. We're, uh, uh, and it's due to human behavior. We want to change human behavior, you have to change subconscious. So any of those ways 
that we can change subconscious will improve not just our individual lives, but the lives of the rest of the world, because each of us is contributing our consciousness, our life to the whole. And if we all start living in harmony, then the world will live in harmony. I see uh, a popularity with plant medicines these days for yes. adults to help them reprogram. Plant medicine is, is an automatic mechanism that disconnects you from the program. And the moment you disconnect from the program, then you're really operating on your spiritual foundation, your creativeness. That's what, you know, all the hallucinations and things like that are part of a creation process. But if we let go of the programs, which are the negative programs that take away from our health, then the beautiful part is this. Our consciousness creates heaven on earth. That's where love comes from. That's where the honeymoon comes from. And the psychoactive drugs are, are the red pill. <laughs> they, they say, let's disconnect mm -hmm. from the program and then now look at life. And that gives us insight to say, oh, my goodness, there's this other life out there. And I just touched it. Uh, I could do it without the drugs, but until I did the drugs, I wasn't able to disconnect from the program. So mm -hmm. it's an interrupt. The, the drugs interrupt and say, wait, there's more to you than the program you, you just experienced. So Fantastic. that's why it's all there for us to uh, learn from. And that's why many cultures, when a child starts to come of age, they are, they are given these hallucinogenic drugs to let them know how big the, the universe is compared to the smallness of their, their programming. That's really what it's all about. Mm. Mm. Bruce, this has been a beautiful uh, conversation. And I really appreciate your time today. One thing I would love to finish off this podcast with is... What is your, or one of your ingredients for a beautiful recipe for life that uh, you, would, you would love to share with the audience? I think personally, but I also think it's affecting the entire population. It's a simple fact. Love is harmony in the world. When people are in love, they're living in happiness and health and joy and everything is wonderful. The issue that most of us have, and this is where the problem comes from, is we have trouble loving ourselves. And I say, why is that important? Well, if you can't love yourself, then nobody else could love you either. Because if, if you say, I can't love myself because I'm critically, I'm not, I'm not good at this or that. And someone else says, I love you. And you say, if I can't love myself, how can you love me? I'm not lovable. And, and when we are not in love, love is harmony, then it says we're in disharmony. And disharmony leads to disease. I say, why don't we love ourselves? And the answer is very simply this, is that when we were growing up during that developmental seven years, if our parents criticized us like coaches, then think of what programs you have inside your mind. Not good enough, not deserving, not lovable, not this or not that, because we didn't get those programs. And then I say, and then what about the rest of your life? I say, well, since most of it is coming from the subconscious, if I don't love myself, then uh, because I'm critical, where did I get critical? My parents criticized me, and that's the program. I got how many times did my father yell at me? I do not deserve this. So my program is I do not deserve. What will I create? A life that, it, that says uh, it's in harmony with I do not deserve, meaning uh, I'll mess everything up. And at the end of the day, I'll say, yep. You see, I do not deserve. And it wasn't that the world didn't do that. It was our own programming, lack of love. What we have to do is learn to love ourselves and start to recognize that the criticisms that we got from our family, our parents, our community, that was, that, that's not us. That was somebody else's program. 
and that we have to let go of what they said and reprogram, that's what we just talked about, reprogram the fact that you are a spirit, you're a piece of God, you're quite lovable. Uh, those criticisms have taken us away from love. If we rewrite the criticisms, we can live in love. And when we live in love, well, that's the equivalent of heaven on earth, and that's the intention, and that's what we were supposed to be doing, except uh, we got programmed <laughs> incorrectly, and, and now we're playing bad programs, and as a result, we have bad lives. That is beautiful, Bruce. I just want to say that we love you. Thank you for your time today, and I look forward to uh, more of your brilliant wisdom, and uh, keep being you, brother. I love you. I so appreciate that, and I really want to thank you. I want to thank our audience because if our audience really gets this message and they start to learn to love themselves, they'll start to learn to the simple reality that Earth is not punishment. Earth is is love, health, harmony, and a heaven on earth experience. The only reason we may not experience that is not because the world won't give it to us. It's because our own programming prevents us from seeing it. So I want to thank you for the opportunity at least to bring this up, this information, because if people really catch on, they have the power. Each one of us has the power to change that program. And in the process, learn the program of love and health and happiness and that we have this opportunity to share heaven on earth. And that's our, really why we are, we are here. So uh, thank you for letting me uh, say that to this wonderful audience, Pete. Uh, you're a good man, Bruce. I uh, love you, brother. See you, mate. Thank you. Thank you so very much. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical, or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.